Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. It is the season of Advent, and we're going through various passages related to the coming of Christ, uh, Christmas, but also looking back to Christmas, but especially looking forward to the future return of our Lord. So today we're going to be in Psalm 85, which I think captures a certain spirit of uh, desiring to be renewed so that we might even have this desire for the return of our Lord. So we're in Psalm 85 today, where we read this. Lord, you poured out your blessings on on your land. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sins. You held back your fury. You kept back your blazing anger. Now restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again? so your people can rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I listen carefully to what, what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. But let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, so our land will be filled with his glory. Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the earth, and righteousness smiles down from heaven. Yes, the Lord pours down his blessings. Our land will yield its bountiful harvest. Righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the way for his steps. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, In this psalm, one of the things that strikes me right away is, uh, is this idea that our relationship with God often kind of goes through ups and downs. Uh, there are times when uh, we are faithful and, and and really in sync with the ways of the Lord, and there are times when we have repelled, rebelled, and maybe we feel like the people in this psalm feel like uh, we're so distant that maybe even God is angry and and punishing us. But I, I love the uh, the image at the end. There's like verses ten and eleven have all these images, but I especially love this image of righteousness and peace kiss, kissing like the kissing is such a a kind of a gesture of intimacy it's you know face to face and there's this there's this tender touch and this idea that both uh righteousness kind of like you know holiness and and, and right living and, and peace this shalom uh being together in our lives um but really the the word that probably or idea that captures me most uh, beyond that image in this psalm is this idea of again the people recognize uh, saying, you know, again, or once more, it's repeated different ways here. This idea that this is a pattern that we have been through before, where things have been good, things have been uh, bad in our lives, things we've, we've been doing well with the Lord and, and really desired and seeking the Lord's ways. And there are times when we have gone our own way. And we wonder maybe at times whether we can ever be restored. But there's this remembering of the ways that God has restored us in the past, the ways that God has met us in those dark valleys, the way that ways that God has welcomed us home, like, you know, the prodigal son, like if the prodigal son leaves again, does the prodigal son not get welcomed a second time? Is it only a one-time thing? I think sometimes we can fear that. Or when uh, Jesus talks about the uh, Pharisee who prays, you know, thank God that I'm not like, you know, these other people, like this tax collector and sinners. And the, the tax collector, on the other hand, you know, beats his chest and, and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and Jesus asks the people, you know, who went home justified before God? Who went home right, bef- right with God? Well, obviously, it's the tax collector. 
But in that image, we I think we often think, well, but if the tax collector comes back the next week and does the same thing, if like if the tax tech collector doesn't eventually become more like the Pharisee, will will Jesus actually forgive him? Will God forgive him? But there's this idea again that God con constantly is waiting for us, like the the father in the story of the prodigal son, just eagerly waiting for us to return to welcome us home. And, and so I, I see this as an invitation to us, and as is the season of Advent. Is kind of an invitation to us, especially if during this time we feel distant from God, to ask God to uh, restore us, to revive us, to renew us, just like the psalm in this uh, the the psalm does, and to recognize that God has restored us in the past and promises promises to once again, whatever we've done, however far we've strayed, the Lord stands ready to forgive us and and cover over whatever we've done and welcome us home. Uh, I think Advent in that way can be a season of looking forward to being welcomed home by our Lord. Uh, Dave, I'm wondering what you see in today's passage. Well, you know, you bring up the, such a kind of a warm and fuzzy image of God. Uh, you know, you evoke the image of the, the, uh, the, the father with the prodigal son, uh, just generous, eager him to come back, patient, loving, all true. Um, and, and yet I think sometimes if we only hear those images, which are all over the Bible, then we, we miss out on the whole truth. And so actually what's funny, what struck me in this Psalm was the opposite. Uh, it's the, uh, uh, you held back your fury, verse three, you kept back your blazing anger. It's not saying that God doesn't have fury or blazing anger. God just restrained it. Um, and uh, verse five, the question, will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? And, and so that there's this recognition that these people have sinned and God cares about it. And I think that so often in our culture, and I, I see this everywhere, that people have the idea that, that uh, forgiveness means not acknowledging sin, pretending mm -hmm. it didn't happen. Uh, I actually correct my kids when I know their heart is in the right place, uh, but I actually think it's a, an important distinction. My kids, some, you know, one of my kids will do something awful to one of my other kids, right? And that's kind of what having kids is like. Um, and, uh, and then finally, okay, the, the perpetrator comes back and apologizes. Um, and, uh, and the, the, often the, the person being apologized to the victim will end up saying it's okay, or it doesn't matter. Uh, and I was like, whoa, 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 stop. It's not okay. It does matter. But the reality is you can forgive too, right? That there's that forgiveness is not the lack of acknowledgement of sin. In fact, there really can't be forgiveness unless there's sin. And so I actually think it's very important to have confession of sin and forgiveness of sin. And so what I actually want, what I want the kids to say to each other is I forgive you. Mm -hmm. To me, that's so much more powerful and more honest. And especially when the perpetrator knows what he did is wrong, he knows what he did wasn't okay, right? It just feels like it's covering over, it's denial. But instead, the, the forgiveness is saying, I see that sin, I experienced that sin, I suffered from that sin, and I forgive you anyway. And and in fact, there have been times in my with my wife and me when you know we've had sort of a, a thing where one of us hurt the other's feelings and you know, taking each other for granted. I mean, whatever we've sinned against each other, and and it, it's not enough for me to to say, okay, well, hey, you know, I apologize, or you know, whatever. 
I want to hear her at the end say, I forgive you. Hmm. And in fact, I'm going to push it a little bit until I can get her to say that because otherwise it just lingers there. Right. And, and I, I want to know, like somehow this needs to be dealt with because I actually did do something wrong. And, and so let's not pretend it away. Let's not live in denial. Let's not just sort of like kind of not deal with it, bury it deep. So then it, it sort of rots slowly into bitterness and it's going to come right back out and bite us the next time I mess up, which is surely going to not be very far away. And so I actually feel like that, that this understanding that our sin matters. But this, then the beauty of this psalm, and I think what caused you to go the direction you did, is it also tells the other side of the story, right? That, you know, we all say, oh, forgive and forget. And I go, no, no, no. God remembers everything. It, it, it's not that God forgets, like, oh, gosh, you know, I just, uh, what happened yesterday? And where are my keys? And what did that guy do? God remembers all of it. Uh, it because it can't be forgotten. God forgives, right? And I, I think that's the thing is that, that God actually has to do something in order to forgive. And I think that's then the, the, uh, the, the, the evidence of God's love is not that he's forgetful. He, he will then, you know, he uses this um, kind of uh, anthropomorphic language to you know, say, oh, I'll remember your sins no more. But, but he's saying, I'm not going to hold it against you, right? I'm, I'm not going to keep coming after you to make it right because you won't, you can't. Uh, but instead, I am going to make it right. But it's that understanding that actually makes the Christmas story so essential. Right, the whole thing—the reason that Jesus had to come the first time, because you know, Advent, we're excited about Jesus coming the second time to make all things new. But, but the reason that Jesus is coming the first time, which we celebrate at Christmas in a few weeks, is so important, is because somehow we needed to deal with this sin problem first. Right? The the promises that are going to be fulfilled when Jesus comes the second time are only possible because of what Jesus did when he came the first time. And I, I see in Jesus, we see that this intersection of love and truth about who we are and what we did in our situation, right? Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness, this high standard, and peace have kissed. These two things have come together. That's actually what it, I think makes Christmas so remarkable. Why do angels sing? Why do, do shepherds kind of like, you know, come running? Because God is doing something dramatic to forgive people who know they sinned. And we will not experience the delight of Christmas any more than we'll experience the delight of Good Friday or of Easter if we don't know, if we can't acknowledge, be honest about the fact that we've sinned and we need God's forgiveness. And God's love is so great that he does what's necessary in order to forgive. To me, that's the real beauty. It's not that God's about big pushover. It's that God is so passionate that despite how much he is angry and he has been hurt, despite that, God loves and serves and saves and seeks. God brings life where it doesn't belong. That's the beauty, I think, of this story. Well, yeah, the the grace of God is so scandalous that it can easily be turned into kind of a, a cheap grace, like uh, the, the beginning of Romans addresses 
uh, that mistake all over the place. I, I think the 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 prodigal son is such a, a great illustration from Jesus because it illustrates that there is a cost to the sin of the prodigal, but it's not paid by the product prodigal. Right. It's not paid by the one who left. It's paid in essence. Well, it's supposed to be paid by the father and by extension the the eldest son because the the cost of returning of him returning comes out of the eldest son inheritance which is why in the story the eldest son doesn't want the prodigal back because he's getting less of a share it's costing him something and as tim keller i think pointed out really well that the story almost cries out for a good elder brother, someone who would have fulfilled the role of, of an elder brother to be the one to go and be that bridge between the father and the son to, to go and bring the son home and to, at his own cost, bring him back. And of course, the, 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 the son, the elder, the good elder brother that's missing from the story is exactly what Jesus came to do, that in Christmas, the elder brother, the good son comes uh, on behalf of the father uh, because of the love for the father and at, at his own cost is willing to pay the cost to bring us home. And, mm -hmm. and that's what ends up restoring us. So yes, there is a tremendous cost to our sin, but thank God that the cost is paid for by Jesus and not by us because we couldn't pay it. Amen to that. Well, John, would you want to close us a prayer today? I would love to. Oh Lord, revive us, renew us again again and again. Lord, uh, if there is anyone here who is listening today who is uh, in great need of being revived, Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit. I send that you pray that you would surround them with uh, other children of yours to encourage them and lift them up. Lord, I pray that they would see and receive this invitation to return to you, that you look forward to uh, welcoming them home and forgiving them of whatever they have done or failed to do, Lord, that that invitation is extended to all of us. And, and it is an incredible invitation because you at great cost have paved the way so that we, we might return home. Lord, we thank you in this season of Advent that um, you can prepare us to receive your kingdom. But even more than that, we thank you that your kingdom has been prepared to receive us. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, we're so glad to have you on this journey with us, and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.